Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that has nothing to prove to you. I'm Joe Cunningham, joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And James Hunt. We'll skip the latest comic book movie and TV news, uh, but maybe stick around until the end of the podcast for a little bit of that. And instead, dive into our spoiler-free thoughts on Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck's 2019 movie, Captain Marvel. Uh, We'll then take a quick break before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion... Um, but first, uh, Seb, James, can you explain to the listeners why this episode's turning up a little bit late? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's been a busy month and then we recorded this episode and, uh, there was a technical, uh, what's the phrase? Fuck up. There was a fuck up. So we had to re-record it a week later. Oh, weird i thought you were out in space fighting thanos and that we had to page you to come back is that <laughs> you had to page me you had to wait for yeah. Me to <laughs> yeah so technical difficulties i think is the is the yeah. fast way of uh explaining that um but yes we're here now uh james and i are talking about captain marvel for the second time so i'm going to try and try and remember all the amazing points i made the first time around and make them again <laughs> Uh, (laughs) um, but yes uh, so Captain Marvel with you finally but before any of that I'm going to ask Seven James to explain to me something I don't know about the supreme intelligence (laughs) James do you want to take this one no I think you should do it (laughs) something that you don't know about it you don't know what form it appears to me as <laughs> oh wait, I can guess. Um Arnold Rimmer. <laughs> That's exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, that's, I, I, not, I, that's not far off, shall we say? I, I, I can't come up with a better reply than that. Supreme Intelligence is a is a comics thing, right? It's not it's not an invention for this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, yeah, is it goes the all the way back, of the Cree. It is the leader of the Cree. It's like a giant. It's a giant floating head in a vat that runs comp- uh, runs Cree society. It's Modoc in a jar. Yeah, it's like they're Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, exonerated. <laughs> That's yeah, a contemporaneous I mean... reference I couldn't have made last time. Around. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and what, always artificial intelligence? I'll be honest, because I thought the movie kind of went like, here's the thing, it's fine, and you don't, don't think about it too much. Yeah, it didn't do a lot with the supreme intelligence, did it? It just went, oh yeah, it's the supreme intelligence, you go and talk to it, and it tells you sort of stuff about your life. 
one of those things that I imagine it as a as a general moviegoer, you'd kind of go like that must be something from the comics because (laughs) in in and of itself, it's not that compelling. I mean, I guess that the metaphor's cute, you know, that you get to you get to see what 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 is the the phrase they use? The thing you most admire, person you most admire, right? Yeah, I thought. I thought. I. I mean, I, I was going to ask actually, did, did, James, do, does the does that aspect of it come from the comics? Do you know? No, it's just a giant tentacled green head in a jar. Right. right. Okay. So basically, they took a comic concept and went, but we need to plaster something interesting on top of this because otherwise, it's just some nerd ass shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, we I, think it, I think more into the movie earlier than than we otherwise can. So I think it's and more a, like and with they... a really cool haircut. You know, I think it's more like they they came up with a thing for the movie and they went, is there a way we can just call it something from the comics? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's nice. Uh, but I, I guess Supreme Intelligence of the comic tends to be a, a bit... Uh, is it a plot device? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's extremely malevolent. Um, right. Very manipulative. It, it would not be helping you out in any way. It's normally just barking orders and everyone's terrified of it because it's so powerful. Okay, well, from the sounds of it then, I've got my fill of the supreme intelligence from this movie. Uh, Don't think I need any more of that. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, well, let's move on to our spoiler-free discussion of Captain Marvel. Now, I hear you listeners, what you're thinking is, do we we need to talk spoiler-free? And I think let's just do it in case some of you haven't seen it and then you can leave the podcast and come back. Um, it's, it's it's where we get to do our, our Rotten Tomato one-line summary of our opinions as well. So it's, Yes. You know, yeah. Right, Seb, I've heard James's opinion before, so I'd like to come to you first. Where uh, <laughs> and, and let's and let's do what I always do, especially when we're talking the MCU. What are your thoughts? Where does it sit in the MCU pantheon for you? Um I I liked it. I um uh, we'll we'll obviously we'll talk in more specifics about things that I felt didn't quite work, um, and particularly in the early part of the film, I think it's very much a film that gets better and better as it as it goes on and various things unfold. Um, I think it uses certain people and things really well, and it uses other certain people and things really. I don't want to say half heartedly because that implies a lack of effort, but you know, just not to a satisfying degree. Um, but no, it's it, it's good. Um, I Brie Larson is excellent, and Ben Mendelsohn is especially excellent. And um, it's I think it's I mean it's comfortably for me up there with the various first films for various mm. characters, <laughs> which I do see pretty much all of them. Um, kind of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, even Spider Man, Doctor Strange, Ant Man. I I find it increasingly hard to separate all of those first films because I think they all do the job well. I mean, you know, if I was having to rank them, Captain America would probably be be top, Iron Man close behind, but you know, it's it, it's in that you know, it it's not a uh, it's not obviously an Infinity War, it's not a Guardians, it's not a Winter Soldier. Um but it's it's kind of yeah mid, mid to upper mid tier I think. 
Um, it's hard because, we, as, as we've talked about before, you know, there's none that are bad. So even the weaker... Calling this a middling MCU entry, it's still a very, very good comic book movie. <laughs> it's funny that the one you left out there said was Black Panther, who is, I think, the only character of those who was introduced in another movie first. Yeah. Which, therefore, it, it, it kind of it naturally follows that his movie gets to do something a bit different as its first as, as the first movie. That one's about setting up a world rather than a character. Yes, yeah. This one is trying to set up a world and a character, and it's the world that I think it succeeds far less at than the character. So it's interesting. Well, given, given that its world is one you've kind of already seen before and the other one is the 90s. <laughs> it yeah. sets up the 90s very well, although we will get to that. For me... So, I mean, you say you've heard my opinion before, but I've since uh, gone in, into my letterboxed Cineverse James and <laughs> uh, properly updated my, my MCU ranking list. So I can tell you exactly where it sits. And it is dead center of the 21 MCU films for me. <laughs> it is number 11 out of 21. Wait, there's 20, right? Or am I going insane? 21. Have I mi- is there? Yeah. What have I missed off? My <laughs> I- list- I don't My list know. only has 20 films in it. <laughs> yeah, because you watched 19 for the marathon before Infinity War. Oh, I don't think I've put Ant-Man and the Wasp in here ever. There you go. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So well, my... oh, sorry, no, Infinity War does... was the 19th because then Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yeah. yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp it doesn't affect my placement, though. Yeah, Ant-Man Captain Marvel is, is 20, 21, yeah. So, yeah, um, for me, it's it's dead centre. And like, much like Seb, yeah, number 11. I've gone, much I've like gone, Seb, t- I've gone 10, James. <laughs> Yeah, much like Seb was saying, it, it it is surrounded entirely by like solo introductory movies. So number ten for me is Ant Man, then Captain Marvel, then Doctor Strange, Captain America, and Thor. Oh, and Spider Man. And then after mm. that is when you hit all the bad ones. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> there's only like three bad ones well okay my my bad um, ones not, not just so bad. just for context below the solo introductory movies is age of ultron iron man 2 ant-man 2 guardians 2 thor 2 and hulk you've got ant-man 2 and guardians 2 far too low though have i though yes have i uh, <laughs> yes um, we can have this argument another day the point is captain marvel is a really solid debut yeah i was a i was a big fan of it yeah i i I agree with Seb. I think Brie Larson's fantastic. Um, I thought Samuel L. Jackson was... uh, Well, Samuel L. Jackson on an effects level is insane, out-of-this-world, great achievement. Yeah, you can't... You don't... Like, you cannot (laughs) see the joins. It's not like Superman... I think you do a little bit with Coulson. Oh, yeah. They definitely cheaped (laughs) out on the other de-aged people. Coulson just got in the Netflix Wigs flashbacks box. (laughs) Coulson has um, inconsistent um, forehead wrinkles, I would say. (laughs) But Sam Jackson's... It's it's pretty and astonishing. I, f- I mean, it's the. I mean, I think, I I think what you were going to say is it's the fact that you don't think about it. I did not no. spend any of that film going. Oh wow, that's a young Samuel L. Jackson. I was just that's Samuel L. Jackson in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the way that the the way that he's introduced into the film as, as well. I think previously when Marvel have done this, they've done it in these kind of uh, self-contained little sequences that kind of go like, wow, look at what we've done with. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Michael Douglas, Hayley Atwell, Their Robert Downey Jr. That force you to pay attention to them. Yeah, definitely, because you particularly the um, uh, the young uh, Robert Downey Jr. You know that is a that is such a deliberately artificial scene, mm. um, and with um, uh, with Michael Douglas in Ant Man, it, it comes as a surprise. You're not expecting to see it, so you're like, oh wow. And yeah, th- this isn't that. You know it's coming, and it, yeah, you're right. He's introduced in such a low key way. Yeah, it doesn't just feel there. like they're just, going, and yeah. now look what we've done with Sam Jackson. He's just yeah. there. He's a part of the movie. I think his performance is is really good because not only is he doing a great Fury, he's doing a great, believably younger version of Fury. Mm. Um, it does, And it doesn't feel... I mean, I, I don't feel like Sam Jackson does, but it doesn't feel in any way dialed in. It feels like here is a guy who's really thought about how do I act 25 years younger and how do I act 25 years younger for this specific character and I think his interplay with Brie Larson is incredibly strong I think Brie Larson um, does what the best superheroes in the genre do which is turn up and you go oh wow yeah there's a superhero yeah you just you, you, you instantly buy her as a superhero you sort of it's the it's almost the Chris Evans effect it's the you 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 can just align yourself with her straight away um you you feel confident that she's that she's doing the right thing and that she's going to do the right thing and that and that can... she's and that she's made of the right stuff and yeah. that even if even if like because this this movie is for its first hour and a bit playing somewhat of a mystery with the origin mm. you what you inherently know is whatever this revelation is I know that this person yeah. has, al- has always been on the side of the angels. Yeah, you're 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 not worried that the revelation is going to be that she was secretly an asshole, like you know, and secretly a villain or whatever beforehand. It's like yeah, it's not yeah. it's not Jason Bourne. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um. So yeah, I I think she's fantastic. I think Ben Mendelsohn is great, and so yeah, it's full of all these good performances. I think that. Um, it has strong thematic stuff in there. Um, I think that the action is um, better at certain times than others, but that, uh, hey, it's an MCU movie. Um, I, I, just, I mean, I think that would probably be, and I think it's it doesn't help that there are certain films in this series that we've been spoiled with in that sense. And it's kind of, it's the criticism that I think you often uh, offer of uh, the Russos. I think it is lacking in a little bit in style. It I think it's it doesn't been really have its own visual style. That, that it's makes been a you go while now. That director. I'm trying to think of the last time that I looked at the action in a Marvel movie and went, "Oh wow, yeah, this is because because Would you not uh, even you say know, it about Guardians two. So I think that might be the last time. Mm. And Guardians two is too much, but <laughs> I still yeah. I still think at least like. I, th- I mean, you I know who's you, directed I think you it. Can, yes, I think you can tell that James Gunn has directed that and that and those, or at least been involved with the development of those scenes. And I, I'm looking back, I didn't feel that in Spider-Man Homecoming, didn't feel that in Thor Ragnarok, haven't felt it in any of the Russo entries. Um, I think probably the last one that I, I thought, oh, yes, actually, I really like the action here, but for a different reason was Doctor Strange, just because it had a, probably a, coherent visual for the action stuff 
that it, it kind of fed through and it all fed back to uh, to the like the thematic stuff around time. I think the first because even even Black Panther has one or two scenes that you're like, oh, I feel Ryan Coogler in this a bit more than the others. <laughs> I think the first Ant Man is probably the the last time I really got that impression because that feels very distinctive in a way that Ant Man and the Wasp even didn't for me. Hmm. Yeah, which is interesting given that Peyton Reed works on both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, back to Captain Marvel. I, I thought it was great. I do think it's a little bit messy and I think it is less than the sum of its parts because there's not many things that I would pick out and say, oh, I really didn't think that worked or I really didn't like this aspect. There's not many of them. I just think it... it. I, I just... I think I wanted something that coalesced a little bit more i mean i sort of i sort of think that's good in a way because if captain marvel's done anything it's kind of removed the burden of like female fronted superhero films to have to be wonder woman which was all those things it was like thematically coherent and you know impressive on pretty much every level and it's kind of, it feels like you need female-fronted superhero movies that are middling and for that to not be a problem. <laughs> and I think Captain Marvel, yeah, I kind of agree. by definition, according to my list, is middling. <laughs> and I still loved it. And I don't think it's going to harm any movies that come after it. It's not like when Catwoman came out and everyone went, oh, well, that's not going to work, is it? Like this yeah. is this is as good as Thor. It's as good as the first Captain America. It's as good as Ant Man and Doctor Strange, and that is okay because none of those films are everything, and yet we still revisit them and we still like them and we still talk about them fondly. Yeah, and I, I, and I think what I like about this movie is thematically, it is. The fact that this is a female superhero movie is not lost on the filmmakers and it's not something they ignore, but it also doesn't feel like that's something that overwhelms the movie and that's all it's got to talk about. Yeah, it's not not the only thing it's about, exactly. Yeah. Hey, should we move on to spoilers? Yeah, go on then. (laughs) Okay, uh, so guys, let's listen to, let's take a quick listen to uh, one of the trailers for Captain Marvel and we will be back with our spoiler-filled discussion very shortly. So, Skrulls are the bad guys. And you're a Kree, a race of noble warriors. Heroes, noble warrior heroes. Your life began the day it nearly ended. We found you. With no memory, we made you one of us. So you could live longer, stronger, superior. You were reborn. I keep having these memories. Something in my past is the key to all of this. You know how to fly this thing? We'll see. 
That's a yes or no question. Yes. Would you like to know what you really are? I think I had a life here. What aren't you telling me? You've come a long way. But you're not as strong as you think. This war is just the beginning. I'm not going to fight your war. I'm going to end it. Aren't you cute? And what's your name, huh? Gary. What's you? I'll be back. So, guys, in 1995 on the Kree Empire's capital planet of Halla, Star Force member Verz suffers from amnesia and recurring nightmares involving an older woman. Yon Rog, her mentor and commander, trains her to control her abilities, while the supreme intelligence, the artificial, the artificial intelligence that rules the Kree, urges her to keep her emotions in check. Um, is this where we all agree that the first acts of the movie, or at least the the Kree Empire part of the movie, is it it takes a little while to get going i'm going to use two words to describe uh what i was thinking for about the first 15 minutes or so of the film green lantern (laughs) oh no it's not (laughs) definitely wasn't i mean it's not that bad but I was like, this is in danger of veering towards that territory. But I I find... I do. I was find still it... having fun. I, I, it just wasn't... It was a bit, I just felt... What I felt was... I mean, this is not the first time, by any means, that these films have kind of thrown you into, you know, an unfamiliar world and situation. Yeah, I really and just... To try and get to grips with it. At this point, I really just want to flag the first Thor, because I remember watching yeah. that the yes. first time and sitting there going like... Oh no! This is bad. This is really bad. The see, scene I, where I they go like and fight Thor the scrolls, the the scene where they get ambushed by the scrolls in the first act, mm. felt real. Um, fighting the frost giants in yeah. Thor, in the first Thor movie. Yeah, it's, and, and I mean, as I, well visually, those kind of murky, dark visuals, and, and that's I mean that was something that anything that wasn't set on Earth in this, I was like, oh, this. Well, sorry. Anything in that first act on Halo and those planets, I just thought, oh, this is kind of ugly. I mean, actually, i i had a, a, a I had a, a an image in my mind that, that Thor kind of succeeded better, but maybe I'm just misremembering. And actually, when Thor gets going, you forget about the the stuff at the start. Yeah, really I think succeed. Thor Thor gets going a lot quicker, but it ha- it's it opens with that Odin voiceover, and you're going like. Uh, yeah, okay. no, I mean, what it, the comparison point that I would with, make, and it's an obvious comparison point, um, not least because they reuse the caption style, um, is Guardians. And Guardians is doing a similar thing of throwing you in, but it's uh, both it's, of them aren't though. Sorry, both of these movies we've just talked about have a framing device. Well, this, and yeah, that I mean, framing yeah, device yeah, with, is crucial. Guardians. Guardians does have the the you, you forget that Guardians actually opens with the flashback before it cuts to Quill as an adult, and, and, and that's Thor crucial. has the Natalie Portman's son Skarsgård and Cat Dennings in the desert. 
Yeah. In well, the, that's in the, the thing. It, it, it gives you an anchor. It gives you a link. You, mm. you know when you meet Peter that he's from Earth. So you know that there's kind of something to identify with and that, and that kind of, you know, he'll kind of react. And I don't know. We, we know that Carol kind of is, but it's just, it's throwing a lot at you. And I don't think it's taking the time to find those, those anchor points and those moments of identification, which I think Guardians does with character moments. You know, even when it introduces Rocket and Groot, you know, who are the, you know, the, the ridiculous characters that are the first ones that it that it throws at you uh, alongside Quill um, it gives them kind of an identifiable dynamic and identifiable characteristics which again this is trying to do but it's just a lot of a lot of concepts and words are being thrown at you and I do feel like with the with the relationship between Yon Rog and, and Veers as she is at this point um, I, I felt like we'd skipped a scene that actually introduced them before we got to you know that kind of that sparring scene and, and all that stuff it just yeah, it just it, it it just felt like it was on the back foot throughout that, and then yeah, by the time it got to the you know the ambush on the planet, I was a little bit lost as to who was who and and who was doing what. Um, you know, it's it was just yeah. Um, I'll tell you the bit that I do really like. I I think that well, I, actually, what we'll say is there is obviously that brief flash of her having the dream and seeing Annette Benning walk. Uh, no, mm. it's not. It's seeing Annette Benning and seeing. Uh, Talos walking towards her and then she wakes up and it's like, oh, this is part of the mysterious origin. I wonder if just you'd let that play out for a little bit longer um, and flash from that and then and then she can have the expository scene with Jude Law during fight. So, because that, because that fight scene, that training scene with Jude Law is setting up thematic stuff, I think you could also do a lot of exposition in that. Um, it, it would be a tiny tweak where you and you have that anchor point at the start and then what a fun way to have to to and which i think the film nails when it does the reveal but even better if you can go you know that scene that you kind of use as your anchor right at the start of the movie yeah that's not how that happened Hmm. um yeah but i i will say i think the scene that really works in that first act is is the training sequence with yonrog um because it because it does set up so much of that. I think it's so I much think of the thematic, thematic in... stuff that I think the film doesn't ever. I, I don't think the film ever really nails or, or really goes out to be too on the nose about what it's saying in that scene and what it's implying later on. Um, I think actually, for a film that has a big climactic fight scene set to just a girl, um, a lot of the time it's quite subtle about the way it dances around some of its themes. But in that in that opening scene, doing the stuff with you know like remove your emotions, remove your anger, remove this, remove that. Basically, like Yon Rog saying to her, you know, if you want to be a, ser- a superhero, you've got to be this boring stereotype of what people expect a superhero to be. You can't be. Carol Danvers superhero. I mean, it's, I like... it's saying like, don't be irrational, right? It's like, oh, you mm. have to, you can't be emotional because that's irrational. And that's yeah, it's, it, 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 and it's saying, yeah, I was going to say, it's saying, don't be hysterical, which is a word that literally, you know, it's it's etymology. Mm. Hysterical basically means being a woman. Uh, yes, I was I was going to say that's what it, it, it's saying. Don't be female. Don't yeah. be don't be anything that sets you apart. Um, and you know three dudes talking on a podcast right now but that's obviously the kind of stuff that gets thrown at prominent women and women in power and you know don't take a stance on things don't put your head above the parapet don't be different uh don't speak your mind don't show emotions because yeah you'll be written off and 
I love that. I love that the the movie kind of it sets all that up. And apart from that one line where she says, "I have nothing to prove to you," it doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't really hammer all of those like little individual bits home. It just goes at the end of the movie. Let's watch her embrace herself. And yeah, let's watch it's her kick ass. At that moment in that scene, and this is why I think what I was going to say about the scene at the start was I would imagine that first scene is going to work a lot better on a rewatch when you know yes. it's a book yeah, ending yeah. with the scene at the end. I do agree with you that I wish that it had been through it more because what that scene at the end made me come out of the film feeling was oh wow, this film had something really interesting thematic going on that it absolutely nailed at the end. And it and it was a really interesting film about you know about her being a superhero and being a hero but in a completely different way um you know it really had something to say about the fact that it was this this female fronted superhero film and what the expectations of that were but all of that that most of that does not come from the duration of the film it comes from that final oh scene. no it's, and that single it's line, bookended. That line it's completely bookended yeah, <laughs> and that line is perfect that is a you know uh, that is one of those, I think it was our friend of the pod, Andrew Allard, I heard coined this phrase, a take the day off line. When you've written a line mm. like that, you take the rest of the day off. Uh, the, <laughs> and uh, it's, what it's... he was referring to it as, it was actually um, in the, the welcome to the planet line at the end of Man of Steel was what he said <laughs> it about for when I first heard it. But yeah, you know that yeah. that is great and that encapsulates what the film is about. But it actually just, because it's at the very end, it makes you walk out of the film thinking that it was more present in the rest of the film than it actually was. Well, no, it's there in, one, it's there in one, one or two scenes at the start and then it's there at the end. Mm. <laughs> because, yeah, for, the, for most of the time, and I think this is the thing that doesn't really work about the film from an overall kind of structure point of view, is that the... The stuff that the mystery around Carol's flashbacks. Now there are obviously there are obviously two twists in the movie, quote unquote. One is the scrolls and the tail off side of things, which actually I think the movie does a good job of obscuring. Uh, but from a Carol point of view, I, I feel like what we give up in getting to know and build that character from the very start of the movie we don't get enough back from the from the mystery i i don't think it is a strong enough mystery because i think from very early on whether the scrolls turn out to be good or bad i think it's pretty obvious that the that the Cree aren't very good um <laughs> And you know, we we also we also have the pre-existing relationship with Korath. Well, I was going to say he's not a great guy. The, the fact the fact that Korath and 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 Ronan are there is just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, despite that, I was always expecting a Cree heel turn. Um, I wasn't expecting, and this is we'll I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll get into it more at the appropriate time. But for me, the best thing about the film, the best two things about the film were two things I was not expecting, and one of them was the scroll face turn. Um, mm. because you know that, and I think that's partly because I would not have expected that from my pre-existing knowledge of scrolls. So, yeah. um, well, that's that's, that's the side of it. That's the side of it that I think the film nails. I think the, I think the Carol, the confusion over her backstory. As soon as, as soon as you see the picture uh, of Carol, and I think you can guess earlier, but as soon as you see the picture of Carol. In the background, uh, when she finds the picture in the Pegasus base, which is what, probably about 45 Mm. minutes in? As soon as you see that picture, there's no doubt left that, 
yes, she had a history on Earth. So that so which of which side of things is real? All right, it's been confirmed a hundred percent. She has a history on Earth. For that to be the case, the Kree have to have been lying to her. Yeah. And she And if they've been lying to her, do- that's not gonna be for a good reason. <laughs> Yes, and she doesn't really get that revelation until a lot later on. Now, that moment still works because the scroll twist has been effectively communicated. And I think because uh, Annette Benning being Marvel is a genius little turn as That's well. That's the other one um, of the two things that I did not see coming. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did so you, that's, did, did that's why I think it that still coming? works. Is it just me who was dumb enough to actually not twig it, it, okay. that she would be Marvel going It's in? possible to work that out, but only by knowing that... What's her character name? Wendy Lawson? Yeah, that the so, he's... Um, it's Walter Lawson? Yeah. Captain yeah. Marvel in the comics was Walter Lawson. And in fairness, even I didn't spot that the first time I watched it. So it's, you know... It's possible, but... You have to be really deep in the comics lore to get it, like deeper even than us. So mm. it's fair. Yeah, to because it's, it's, it's not, worth bearing it's in a... mind that all the whiny piss babies who complain about about Marvel, you know, uh, having been killed or ruined by by what they've done here, um, that character was killed off in comics in 1982, 15 years after he was first introduced, and 38 years later. Um, he's only ever appeared for like brief revivals or flashbacks. You know, yeah, this is and that not. Is, that is because the most famous thing he ever did was die. Exactly. Um, you know, th- this is not a character who has a long and storied history. He's only really important because of what followed him and, and sp- sprung out of him. Um, and so, you, you know, it's. Um, you you can be forgiven therefore for not being massively well versed in in you can you can know about the general Captain Marvel history but yeah not knowing that Captain I wouldn't have even thought Marvel had a secret identity on Earth because I didn't know that, that would <laughs> no, have ever quite. been relevant in his stories to be honest <laughs> and and I think we should talk about it so uh, so in the comics Marvel crashed on Earth right and kind of Green Lantern style which is why one of the original reasons they said they weren't doing the original origin green lantern style kind of crashes carol danvers is there and the power is transferred from marvel to carol danvers that's the deal right sort of yeah basically there's an explosion and his powers get transferred to her like it's not the initial arrival of him or anything Hmm. like and what what an amazing well what a clever twist on that to go do you know what? We kind of don't want our first female character to be a legacy hero from another male yeah, character. This really mm. We don't want sidesteps. this male character to be pa- passing that down. Yeah, it really neatly sidesteps the idea that she's derived from a male hero. Yeah, because yeah. you know, she's um, derived um, from a female Captain Marvel. Well, yeah, it immediately fixes that problem. Yeah. Like, she's not like she Marvel, she's just Marvel. But I'm just as well, it's like, it's just, you look at Annette Benning and, and the haircut that she's got in this film, and like, she looks like Marvel, and I still didn't see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I don't think I was looking, do you know, I I, I, feel, I think that I had, when when it was clear that Jude Law wasn't Marvel, and James, we were discussing this, weren't we? We think it's... It's pro- it's probably quite a long time into the movie that they actually call Jude Law Yon Rog. Yeah, I think in fact it only happens once in the entire film. Even like <laughs> it, it's very late on that they actually mention it because I was looking out for that. Mm. Like I had a theory 
that maybe at some stage in the development, like maybe in a in a script draft, maybe even in the film as it was shot, that there was a version of the story where he had assumed Marvel's identity. And which is very po- which is very possible because you know he's he's stepping into her life at a point that Marvel disappears and he, and Marvel is a Cree so he you know that that would make complete sense mm-hmm. like that's not to say and, it definitely did but it sort of it feels like they they left it in vague for a reason yeah but i think this i think this way works um and actually i think it's better again Marvel just being Annette, excuse me, Marvel just being Annette Benning, being female, there not being any confusion with Jude Law, maybe, maybe not yeah. being Marvel. Mm. You just, you just have this very clear. That's the origin. Um, deal with it, and yeah, you can only imagine that Marvel, um, was you know around for ages, probably best mates with Sylvester Stallone out in the stars. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that, that's a, that's a ship that I'm starting right here that I don't think anyone has done yet. Annette Benning and <laughs> Sylvester Sloan in the MCU, <laughs> um, and yeah, and uh, and and I think this is a fine origin for uh, the character in the MCU, and also um, appropriately for the MCU, an Infinity Stone origin because. Captain Marvel here is powered by an Infinity Stone, right? Well, it's not an Infinity Stone origin because it's been picked up after the events of First Avenger. No, no, no. No, but what, the origin no, no, is, no, so... is tied to the Infinity Stone. Oh, right. I Sorry, mean, I thought you I meant mean, the origin she... of an Infinity Stone. <laughs> <laughs> she is another Marvel character who, contra- contrary to their comic book power set, like uh vision i don't know if you remember ever having a conversation about that james about <laughs> that in vision's head was an infinity or, or is that an infinity stone around dr strange's neck i think we had that conversation um captain marvel here is she is powered by the space stone right that's that's where her power comes from yeah and so she's effectively infinity stone powered that is correct. I re- in in I much re- the same way the Scarlet Witch is. Yes. I really hope that that she doesn't become depowered in any way by the end of Infinity War. Because she's so powerful here. And it's cool to see because like Marvel has... A, you know, like, it, they've kind of had to do this with their original Avengers. But they kind of... I mean... Maybe Capaside have just continued to get stronger and stronger and stronger. So, like, Thor has gone god mode at this point. Tony Stark basically farts and his costume <laughs> appears around him. Uh, and, and I kind of like that Captain Marvel, they just go, yeah, no, here we are. She's fucking incredible mohawking her way through spaceships and... Um, <laughs> nuclear missiles like it's nothing i mean that is that is a problem the comics have as well which is that the more you give your characters these like huge feats of achievement you know endurance and and strength Mm. the more they're compelled to to live up to them again in the future and you have to keep exceeding them so it's interesting that the mcu has now been going on long enough for that to actually happen (laughs) yeah but my worry with Captain Marvel, and uh, well, I mean, it's a it's a storytelling challenge for the MCU from this point in. 
Carol Danvers is so strong already at the end of this movie. She will then have been going around space for 25 years, presumably. Um, not aging. Um, <laughs> but And she's coming back to Earth. And, and, and Seb, we've had this conversation about Superman before. You know, and like, well, Superman, when someone's that powerful, how do you, you know, how, how do you ever tell an interesting story? And obviously they've got Kryptonite in their back pocket there. Um, I don't know if there's some Marvelite that they can roll out for Captain Marvel. <laughs> um, but that's not the only that's not the only thing that they come up with where you're like, oh, well, you can't just blast your way through this. That actually... What a, what a great way to introduce to feature Captain Marvel for the first time after this, which is to put her into Infinity War, where the thing has already happened, and her her power set, no matter how strong she is, she can't just magic half of the world's population back. So that's a smart way of putting together those incredible powers and not making her just be able to fix everything. I mean, it certainly beats beachfront real estate. <laughs> uh, but I hope that they... I hope that they find a way to continue to do that without depowering her because I think it would be very easy for a character who is powered by an infinity stone to say at the end of Endgame when potentially the infinity stones are destroyed that she doesn't have the same level of power anymore and I think that would be a real shame if that's what they were doing. But as I said, storytelling challenge how do you not do that and still tell compelling stories with Captain Marvel? That's what I want to see. Yeah, I'm sort of hoping they don't have some artificial, like, oh, it turns out I can only maintain that for 10 minutes or whatever, or, you know, now my powers are limited, so I have to really think about how I deploy them because one day they'll all be gone. Like, that's mm. the sort of, you know, artificial limit I can imagine them putting on the character. Because, Seb, if you were Kevin Feige and you're thinking up ideas... uh for the direction of Captain Marvel in the MCU in Captain Marvel 2. Uh, maybe you said it in those 25 years where she's off Earth. Or there's just something that she needs to go off back into space to solve. Well, that's... Um, but that's what I mean. So in so when she's... Why, why would she stick around on Earth? No, but I'm talking about you could set Captain Marvel 2 in between Captain Marvel yeah, and... Yeah, you could. I'm, I'm just giving you an alternative. I'm just yes. saying if it picks up after Endgame, the issue is she's too powerful to be around on Earth dealing with Earthbound threats unless you do mm. power her. So you send her off back off into space because that's... And, you know. and the kind of space threats that she could find, I don't know, something called like Galactus? <laughs> <laughs> How could... Yeah, Captain Marvel kind of... And Reed Richards out in space. That would be cool. <laughs> Captain, Mar I would say Captain Marvel and Thor out in space, but apparently we're not allowed to ship that. So, why are we not allowed to ship that? Uh, that's that's a new one to me. I don't. I mean, I don't really want to get into it in too much detail because I might get told off. But um, the internet has decided that um, Carol is gay, uh, not even bi, but but gay, and so therefore um, when. Um, there was this when people when like when Twitter did a moment saying, "Oh, the fans are shipping uh, Carol and Thor as a result of that trailer." There were just streams of replies going, "Oh, you've read the room wrong. We we're not shipping them. We just want them to be friends." And I was like, "Well, I'm shipping it because there was a hell of a lot of chemistry there in those thirty seconds." Um, mm. But we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. Um, in <laughs> interesting though, and I, and I think, um, I think it was a a good call uh, not to have a love interest in this movie. So the the central unless you believe the people is... who say that the loving <laughs> I was about to say, was... <laughs> unless you mean Maria Rambo, right? Yeah. 
Well, uh, mm, uh, no. <laughs> if it if it's not text, I don't care. No, I mean, you know, I I don't want to deny people the right to ship things by by all means, but I also don't like it when that ship becomes something that gets used to argue against other people shipping something that isn't ruled out by the text. So. Um, I, I, I have no problem believing a Carol and Maria ship, but it should not uh, exclude, therefore, other possibilities that people might want to consider. Because, yeah, it's not sure. it's, it's not in the text that Carol is gay, but I'm, people, I'm, I'm happy for that to be an interpretation. As long as we can all still agree that Captain America is a virgin, I'm fine with all of this shit. <laughs> well, well the, the, the Stucky fans might have something to say about that one, so... Cap, no, Cap has, honestly, he's remained pure because he knows he's going back in time eventually. <laughs> and he'll soon be Sharon's uncle. I don't think Peggy remained pure. <laughs> James. It's going to be a very upsetting discovery for him. <laughs> James, I will turn this podcast around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, uh... <laughs> Let's go back to uh, the movie. Let's go back to the first act, in fact. Uh, so, but the the kind of the, the end of that first act when Carol crashes down onto Earth and into Blockbuster. Nineties um, references cue. I mean, I don't. Fine, fine. The movie's set in the nineties. Have a bit of fun with that. But as as someone who likes most of the songs that were on the soundtrack. I still found the use of the soundtrack kind of annoying. James, you're the opposite of this, right? Yeah, I had a great time with the soundtrack. I was just like, hey, it's all those songs. I did Okay, in fairness, the Just a Girl sequence I thought was a bit too much. Cause that, that was probably one of the ones I really liked. Uh, it didn't, that didn't land for me because it was a bit too on the nose and sort of... <sighs> It, the choice of song didn't really fit the action sequence. It was a bit Umbrella Academy on Netflix. But <laughs> the rest of it, I loved. Like, if you put uh, Only Happy When It Rains over any scene in any movie, I'm there for it. And I, I did really enjoy Celebrity Skin being over the credits, not least because I listened out to hear how they edited over a certain line <laughs> in the song, which definitely wasn't going to be played in its original form. Yeah. Um, it was fine. I think it was just a bit It was just a bit too narrow. And also, I think because so little of it was, was diegetic as well. So it was just... What do you mean, you so know, little of it? There was more diegetic mu- mu- like music in this movie than almost any other Marvel movie. Well, no, I mean, it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't hung on a, on a particular hook the way the Guardians one was. Um, and I think it was just a bit narrow in its range. Um, it, yeah, it was also, a bit like the timing was out for some of them because, like, Celebrity Skin, for example. I mean, okay, I know that one isn't used diegetically, so it's not necessarily a plot hole. But Celebrity Skin came out in '98, um, not '95. Oh, um, so don't care about any of this. <laughs> um, and when was Only Happy When It Rains? Okay, Only Happy When It Rains was late 95 as a single, although it was from an album that came out earlier. I thought that was later than that. I thought that was off the second album, but it's off the first album. Seb, please, um, <laughs> please. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> when was Just a Girl? Uh, that seems... That was late 95, Just a Girl. No, so when, when in 95 is the film set? Because... Late ninety five, clearly. December thirtieth. You, you Let's can move on. you can say I'm being nitpicky, but this is this is nineties yes. music. This is very important. So <laughs> to, to, to you. <laughs> yes, but that's what this podcast is. 
feel like we've got another Starman situation in our hands. I did, um, I, I did, look, I did enjoy Elastica being in a film that featured a character design that is essentially by Jamie McKelvey. Yeah. Um, anyway, all right, let's move on from the music. It was so, fine, it Los, been better. Los Angeles, 1995. Nick Fury turns up uh, looking amazing, being amazing. Phil Coulson turns up. I think we need to accept at this point, whenever the MCU announces, oh, hey, this character that you thought we weren't going to feature again, well, they're back. So we had, obviously, we had William Hurt in <laughs> in um, uh, Civil War and, and Infinity War. Yeah, and he had, know, like, a whole seven lines. Could have been <laughs> anyone. And again, here, as much as, like, it was nice to see Coulson, I mean... I didn't need to see Korath or Ronan again. When they announced them, I thought, oh, well, probably it'll be interesting at least. Again, could both of those characters could have been anyone. And it's fine. It's cute. Like, I like that the MCU can do that and can play with its history. For example, when they were driving to Project Pegasus and they dr- drove down that rocky, uh, that rocky underpass, and I was like, oh, is this where the opening scene of Avengers was? And then it turned out it was. I was like, oh, that's that's really cool. I like that that's just a little detail that you've got that kind of plays on my on my like affection for that for that movie from seven or eight years ago. <laughs> but feels like an age ago because it's sixteen movies back. Um But yeah, when they're bringing back characters just because they have them, I kind of think when it's something that you're announcing 18 months out when filming starts when it's when it gets to the film and they're just there i'm like oh okay i knew they were coming so <laughs> yeah i mean he was in he was there in the trailer as well i mean i saw I, mean, I guess colson gets a couple of nice moments that trade on the fact that colson's a nice man yeah i mean i saw a lot I of people I... saying that the film was kind of over saturated with these things that became really distracting and i'm not sure i agree with that because i think they were so like tiny and as you say, they could have been anyone. It wasn't like, hey, here's a piece of cause and backstory. It was just like, hey, he was around. It's fine. That's an argument that I never really understand, you know? When they're like, oh, because I, I I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 got that as well. It wasn't that I found that movie distracting and like do it that, that it was doing too much. I'm like, I, I can I can move past a little reference to something in the scene and still take away what the film what the what the plot and what the character stuff is going on in <laughs> yeah. that particular scene. I don't really know what distracting means. Yeah, I think maybe people just find it a bit groan-worthy. That's, I mean, that's fair. I, I think by now the films have earned the right to do stuff like this, though. Um, yes, know, I just... They, the point is, unlike a lot of film series, they have this stuff to, to draw on and to play with. Um, you know, in any other film, that Coulson role in this film could just have been a guy who works with Fury, who's who's new, uh, and but who immediately kind of nails his colours to the mast in terms of of being loyal to him and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in this, it's oh hey, it's that guy who we first met when he was a bureaucrat in the first Iron Man film, and look at how far he's come with everything since, and what he's come to mean to everybody. And this is going back. It's like you know, there, there are there are not many, if any, other film series that can do that. I just think, ironically, it lacked conviction, <laughs> <laughs> which is something you can't do with Agent Coulson. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, yeah hey cutie was back he's nice um fun chase sequence around la uh on the on the it, it's not the subway right it's just a it's just the elevated train or whatever isn't it i don't know metro it's just i think i think it's called the metro there it's just yeah. funny because because around about where it was uh is was very familiar to me from gta <laughs> games uh it's it's really similar to the to to the route the train goes in in san andreas particularly so it was like <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to la and i've been on those trains but it was more familiar to me from that um this is also where we get something that by the way just to come back to my earlier conversation about music you were saying the film was set in late 95 but oh. stan lee is rehearsing for his scene in more rats which was released in late 95 so we were just trying to get you to, we were just trying to get <laughs> <laughs> I know, but that is. A... You don't know that he's rehearsing. He could be reliving it. It could just be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah true. Reshoots. Um, that was. That was very. I mean, you know, is there is there anyone who's uh, who's not a fan of of that film who didn't enjoy that? As far as that, that's up there for me as in the, in the canon of Stanley cameos. I I thought everything they did with Stanley. I thought the I thought the opening section oh i mean tears in the eyes for that that was it was really moving yeah and i think that we've got to the point i was when they first reworked that opening sequence and did the michael giacchino like marvel studios fanfare Mm. i was a bit like okay i think that now we're 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 enough films in that now when i hear that i kind of do get a little bit of a like a oh yeah here we go next Mm. installment brilliant um and then when you know, you see the first Stanley in the second, and you see what they're doing, and it's footage of him in the movies and on the red carpets. And I thought it was really, really sweet, um, and something that they didn't need to do, and and a nice big gesture up front, which I think is what was deserved. And then to couple that with one of one of the more fun cameos as well. Hmm. And I really like, I really like the moment. And I saw some people speculating that this was like, this was a nod towards the uh, unified Stanley cameo theory, which we all know Joe does not like. <laughs> <laughs> my my biggest problem with it is though, right? Um, why is Stanley in Mallrats in the Marvel universe? What has Stanley created? <laughs> That means that he's significant. <laughs> Tons of characters. Um, he's created She-Hulk. He's created uh, like Night pr- no, Ravage as well. <laughs> Ravage twenty ninety nine. Like all these characters <laughs> who aren't characters yet. Hang on. Remember, remember ages ago, my pitch for a Fantastic Four movie where they come from an alternate universe, but in the MCU, they're comic book characters. <laughs> eh? Eh? Yeah, that's it. He created the Fantastic Four and the X Men. Yeah, yeah, love it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I love the moment where Brie Larson just gives him a little nod after she sees him, <laughs> and it to me, it to me felt like uh, it felt like it was a break the fourth wall moment of just a uh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Even, uh, though, sorry, even though I thought Stanley that was didn't create her, but never mind. <laughs> I think we're long past <laughs> that one now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I thought the I thought the train sequence really fun. But ironic that that first trailer came out and everyone was like, "She's punching an old lady." And we were like, "No, no, it's fine. She's punching a scroll, and the scrolls are bad." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've we've really gone full circle on that. Yeah. Um, but I thought that I thought that chase sequence on the train and and around the train was really fun, and um, I liked how you know when. 
the Marvel movies are, are quite fond of doing this. They're going, no, this one is in this genre, and we're inspired by these movies. And so, you know, you've got Cap- so you get Captain America and Soldier being like, yeah, no, no, we're, we're a conspiracy thriller, and we are inspired by Three Days of the Condor and and uh, Old Presidents and, and these kind of movies. And and you get to it, and you're like, yeah, you are, but I mean, it, <laughs> only on the most you know, superficial level. Yeah, kind of maybe like you've taken a slight structural thing from that, or you like you wanted to recreate the vibe slightly of that. Uh, what I liked here was when they dropped their references, they were all these early '90s action movies, and for me, where I for me where this felt like a throwback '90s action movie was in the action sequences, and so like. Captain Marvel running around LA like it did give me Terminator 2 vibes quite a lot hmm. um and I, I I mean I loved the the scene where the scrolls turned up on the beach and then you know was a was a surfer the the scroll was a surfer hmm. for the first part of that sequence and that gave me point break vibes and I I did kind of get that and I was like all right fair play um I'll I'll, I'll, I'll hat tip you there because if I am being reminded of terminator 2 in an action movie in a good way you've done something right <laughs> and whilst and and that comes like not like five ten minutes after the really boring scene up in whatever planet it is when they're <laughs> when they're fighting the scrolls that i just really didn't care about and then to go from that to that i thought yeah it's right. weird that yeah it might be on something here. that scene where they fight the scrolls is like that's the first major action sequence and i was watching it going like uh oh this is like it's really not very clear what's going on here and like in i'm talking about like in a sort of christopher nolan dark knight series way you just couldn't tell what was happening and then the rest of the film is fine so i'm not quite sure what happened in that one sequence like maybe it was intentional well i mean the the third the the big action scene at the end is just that's your cgi fest yeah um and then that mid that middle one that the 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 train one is a bit more but yeah that, well there's like a half decent car chase in there there's a train one which is quite conventional yeah. there's that like stalking around the warehouse that's pretty good and i think there's a decent geography to that sequence as well yeah uh and 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 actually yeah to the to the the warehouse one but that's a bit more of like a cat and mousey kind of thing isn't it mm-hmm. um but yeah, so I, I think, you know, passing grade probably overall to the actions whilst whilst it it not feeling like anything special. It's it's it is weird that these Marvel movies, for all their success and for all that the selling point is like, you need to see these at the cinema like no other movies. And yet the action every time feels like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, I sort of don't mind that because I'm the kind of person who doesn't really... Like, everyone came out of Mission Impossible 6 being like, "Yeah, uh, how great was that action? And I was like, I just did not yes. care. Because I'm only here for the story and the characters and, like, I don't care if you're dangling off a fucking helicopter. Yeah, uh, no, that all of the all of the story and the characters is happening in those action sequences, what? James. In the helicopter sequence? No, it's not. Yeah, it is. What's the character stuff in the helicopter? Ethan Hunt is insane. That's not a character thing. We don't. We don't need to. Uh, we don't need to set those movies. But I, uh, no, I, I think there is a there is a beauty to well executed action, and you know, give me yeah, give me a Fast Five or a Mission Impossible Six, um, because like 
I watched four Fast and Furious movies and could not care less about those characters and then watched Fast Five and I was like, oh my God, I care about all of this and family and Coronas. I care about all of it and Vin Diesel's bald head. (laughs) Give me more. And that was all down to what Justin Lin was doing for an action point of view. But it's fine here. It's all fine. Um, and, and yeah, and so then we've got the, we've got the Fury and, uh, Carol Danvers show from that point in. Um, and I, I just think they're, a, they're a really fun combo. Yeah. You I mean, kind as, of, I mean, from that as, scene where they sit down in the bar, right? I mean, pretty much as soon as Carol arrives on earth, the film really suddenly picks up like in a big way. And it kind of makes me think they mm. should have, should have edited the film. So you get there much quicker than you do. I think you do get there pretty fast, though. I mean, it should have been the first 10 minutes, right? Just the the speed at which the film turns around. Because like, it's fine before, but as soon as they get to Earth, you're like, okay, mm. now I, now this is the Very film. Clicks. yeah. Like, up until then, but, it feels like they're just sort of killing time with backstory and exposition. Well, I feel that you do, you do about 10, 15 minutes with the, the Kree stuff, and then probably about 10, 15 minutes of her having that weird trippy dream flashback sequence which again i think that sequence in and of itself is fantastic and i love the the kind of the repetition and the 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 creepy australian ben mendelsohn voiceover (laughs) as it's going on um and that that kind of hyper real sense to everything i thought that was really good again i think it was just that because the because carol's backstory is kind of what you think it is. I, I think it plays its hand a little bit too much. Um but the the sequence itself is is really strong. I wonder I wonder actually whether it's just that those Cree sequences don't land. And I think I think that might be the visuals as much as anything. Because when I actually kind of break it down into its constituent parts, there's not much of it I don't like other than that first action sequence on the Cree planet. I can't really point so much else in there and go, oh, yeah, no, that didn't work for me. Mm. Uh, I, can, I can point to one other thing that, that doesn't work for me. I was quite excited about Lee Pace coming back for this to play Ronan. <laughs> um, I, mm. I, I'm not certain that he actually did. <laughs> I've, yeah, I, I've got this I wouldn't, theory that I wouldn't have known him. it was him. It doesn't look like him and it doesn't sound like him. He doesn't sound anything <laughs> like he did in Guardians. And obviously, the, you know, I think a part of it is because he's younger, um, I, you know, it, the makeup and stuff's not exactly the same. But there is nothing that t- I just think I just think that's two films that I really like Lee Pace and it's two films that have wasted him. And that character might as well not be in the film, frankly. <laughs> Yeh, I just yeah, I just yeah. I mean, it does. That. It feels a bit like he turned up, had one day in makeup, stood in front of a green screen, and they did the rest of the film. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like he spent any time at all, you know, studying his his past depiction of the character. Whereas the other villain, I do like. Um, I I I like Jude Law. Um, you know, sort mm. of in terms of, I, I I think we probably talked about this before when we were speculating about the likelihood of him being a character who's introduced as a hero and ultimately turns out to be a villain. Um, I think he's exactly the right kind of actor to be the guy who is ostensibly on her side, but kind of a bit of a dick. And then the guy who is the baddie, but sort of still with an element of, um, 
you know it's it, it's cuz he's a soldier and he's you know he's 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 in the wrong but he's not kind of he's not evil you know um, <laughs> yeah, it's not evil he's just thick yeah and and i think i think i think he nails that really well um so yeah i i, I liked that that performance and that character generally he's um, just a I'm, shitty dude yeah, that's exactly. what he is exactly yeah, and he is he dude. is I, a a shitty dude driven by this toxic masculinity yeah. or uh, and like hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Like, just... Well, we're at war, and who cares about any of this other stuff? This is what we gotta be, and I'm a man. And He's yeah. the sort of person yeah. feminism would help. <laughs> Absolutely. It, Maybe, and it's um, that thing hey. of, as far as he's concerned in his relationship with Carol, he has all the answers. Um, you know, mm. he, he's a mansplainer. Um, Could and you also, see I like him Loki style three movies down the line? I was just going to say, kind of figuring it out. Yeah, I I really like that he's not killed off or anything, or otherwise permanently removed. You know, he's just sent. He's not even like arrested. He's just sent back in disgrace, basically. And I like the idea of him being someone who could pop up not as a mustache twirling. I will have my revenge and destroy you. Just as this guy who's a bit of a dick who keeps turning up. Um, I, I hope that that's the case because yeah, I, I like what's done there. And, oh my god, I loved her dragging him along the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Such a satisfying visual. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and, and do you know what I kind of, I like as well, that she never really, she was never really under that spell. That's, yeah, you know, she, she actually, she doesn't care about him anywhere near as much as he gives a shit about her. <laughs> he's He's almost incidental. I mean, that's the implication I got from that is because he sort of recognizes that she is better than him. 
and he's yeah. doing his level best to to prevent her from realizing too. And it, and here's what I think I like most about the Carol Danvers character. Um, whilst her backstory is shrouded in mystery, um, she kind of she remains the same character throughout. It's just that her viewpoint on things has shifted, and I I think that I like that because it gives you a consistency in the character in spite of the way that they're structuring the plot. But I also like that it doesn't prevent her from going on a character arc because her character arc is kind of embracing her her true self, embracing her full powers, embracing her potential. Um, so whilst her personality remains intact, she still gets to go on this kind of journey of self discovery. Mm-hmm. And I, and and I think that I think that really does come across throughout. Um, and, and yeah, you and. and to crescendo in the way that it does in yeah for all it's cg but then just the i've got nothing to prove to you (laughs) here you are punched into a rock and now i'm dragging you dragging you along the ground and throwing you into a spaceship and saying yeah go back and tell them i'm coming basically (laughs) he's got a real he's got like a he's got like a real snivelly feeling to him at the end as well he's kind of like grima worm tongue in lord of the rings that that kind of Oh yes, I must retreat back to my masters. <laughs> yeah, um, she. Uh, yeah, I think she's absolutely fantastic. Um, let's talk about. Well, should we? Should we start the sub podcast here? Uh, here begins our half hour talk on goose. <laughs> I'm going to be controversial here. Oh, you! Oh, fuck sh- off! Shut up! Set. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Goose stole the movie anywhere near as much as as people have been saying, and I love. Are cats. you a- okay? You're you're cancelled. I mean, We're getting Kirsten back to talk about this. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Goose stole the movie anywhere near as much as Ben Mendelsohn did, and we haven't talked about him enough yet, and we will do. Well, we'll talk. We'll uh, talk about him next. We're talking about Goose. Goose is great. Yeah, I'm not Goose, denying that. Goose is Goose is cute. Yeah, Goose is a ginger cat. Yeah, as I say, I, I'm very much a cat person. I'm I'm all about the cat, but he he he. I'm sorry, he's he's not the most scene stealing ginger cat in sci fi movie history. That honestly uh, right. all goes to Jonesy. Right, Seb. Five minutes of silence, James. Let's talk <laughs> about Goose. What a cute little cat! I mean, just every time he turned up, you were like, "Let's have more Goose, please." I don't see how you can come out of that film not thinking that Goose was the best thing in it. Especially, like, especially given the post credit scene. Come on. You knew it was coming, I... and it was still fantastic. I thought the post credit scene was overdoing it a bit. You need to be quiet. Oh, my God. Do you know what? Do you, do you know what I think my problem is? You have no soul. No, it's that, it, it's, it's that he's not a cat. I, I, he's, he's, a, he's a flirk and It has the form of a cat. Yeah, That's but I would have preferred great. it. If it was just an actual cat hanging around being awesome, no, not, right, not so... an alien that happens to look like a cat. No, all no, cats so... are aliens that look like cats, Seb. No, cats are better than aliens. No, all cats are aliens. That is Marvel canon. <laughs> right, listen, Goose is really cute, but what what's best about Goose is that Nick Fury thinks that Goose is really cute. <laughs> and their That's interplay that, is yes. delightful. <laughs> Yeah, and agree. yeah, I, I, I love. I mean, I 
I did tweet I did tweet this a couple of months ago and ended up being half right. Tweeted the character poster of Goose saying, This scroll motherfucker is one hundred percent taking Nick Fury's eye out. <laughs> oh come on, but Every, what I really, everybody did that. <laughs> yeah. But what I really want to talk about is the execution of that. <laughs> so here is a movie with Samuel L. Jackson with two eyes. Set in the nineties. There is no way that we're getting to the end of this movie. And Nick Fury has two eyes. I love that the movie we go through all of all of this stuff with Goose, with Goose like doing the crazy alien stuff, with Fury kind of veer, especially after finding out that Goose is actually a flirting, kind of veering towards still finding Goose really cute, but still like Tony Arms Lane the the scene where Goose he thinks that Goose has kind of betrayed him and is settled with the Kree, but it's because Goose knows that they're the Skrulls. <laughs> That's really sweet. And then for Goose just to be sat on his lap at the end of the movie to scratch his eye <laughs> and the reveal, because as an audience member, I just think this scene is played out to perfection. As an audience member, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> you know what's happened there. And the movie knows that you know and doesn't need to spell it out. And so Fury's like, oh, it's fine. It's just a scratch. And it's this very quick cut to Ben Mendelsohn. And he just go, kind of goes, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like oh, immediately no, yeah. cuts to him choosing glass eyes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, for that, and for that to be the character <laughs> that Nick Fury talks about, yeah. I trusted Last someone Last time I once. trusted someone, I lost an eye. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It's just wonderful. And and you know what? Even aside from that, on all, all, all of the fun stuff they do, it's just nice having a cute cat in a movie. <laughs> where the point where the point of the cat is let's show it be cute as often as we can. So that when we do get that turn, it's really gonna pack a punch. And it did. And I and um Seb, I'm I, I'm sorry that someone hurt you. I just no, I just I think the problem is, <laughs> uh, by the time I had seen it, everyone had been going on about the cat. Oh yeah, and I think just my expectations were too high for how pivotal I would find the cat to things. And as I say, look, I, I it, it's not that I'm it's not that I'm anti-cat. Quite the opposite. I'm 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 always fully prepared for a cat to be my favourite thing about any film. So yeah. In fairness, right, that scene where. They sort of he goes full flirting on the Cree soldiers, mm. is admittedly identical to when Baby Groot does it in the, Guardians. Yeah, 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 yeah. That didn't help. Same joke. <laughs> Although, it right. So, how how do flirkins age? However you want them to. Because I I'm picturing that Goose is still there in present day. But obviously, I mean, we haven't seen Goose with Fury, so I'm imagining they've fallen out. <laughs> but I think Goose is still out there somewhere. And listen, I think Goose could play a part. And I would like to see Goose teaming up with Groot, potentially, mm -hmm. at some point. <laughs> I, I, could see, I could really see it working. I mean, I'm... Well, Kevin Feige said that they might do a sort of Goose one-shot or something on Disney+. Plus. Uh, so Bring back the one-shots. I'd be very happy to see that. Yeah, that would be great. Okay, Seb. Well, let, let's let's talk about the the character you really like, uh, Talos, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Um, ben Mendelsohn, who 
it is one of these benefits that the the MCU gets when they kind of when they pick out these directors and the directors turn up and go, oh, do you know what? we've actually got a really good relationship with Ben Mendelsohn from our last movie? Can we bring mm-hmm. him along? And it's like, yes, jackpot. <laughs> Retaining his Australian accent and yeah. for the first half of the movie, kind of doing your standard Ben Mendelsohn villain role because Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, since since he got his Hollywood break, has done this a lot. He's turned up and played kind of that generic kind of baddie. I mean, I'm thinking most recently in Ready Player One and in Rogue One a couple of years ago. Um, bureaucrat. Yes, and I, I mean, and I didn't see it. He was the sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood. I can imagine how that went. Um, and for the first half of this movie, they're going. Yeah, okay, it's Ben Mendelsohn. He's a green alien. You get the deal here. And, and, and to, he's playing to, Donald to nail... as the uh, as the boss of Shield. <laughs> Lovely. Um I, I yeah, I, I like that I like that he does that, which is what I expected him to do, and he does it really well. But when that turn comes He and turns he into a Taika is... Waititi character. But he's like but I think he's like really like emotionally affecting in that second half of the movie it's it's ben mendelson doing what he does when directors let him act mm. well it's just it's i mean for, it's well you've got from that moment because i think the, the reason why i would say the taika waititi thing in terms of the, the comedy stuff with him the moment when he's there with the, the the slurping cup um that just completely it's just so at odds with everything you expect to see from the scrolls up to this point um, and then, yeah, the turn into kind of the, you know, the, the the dramatic reasoning. And even to begin with, you're like, well, do you actually trust whether or not he's telling the truth here? And then yeah, it's yeah, yeah. like, no, really, look, he is, look, he is. It's fine. Even then as well, I like that it's not just completely... Um, Oh, you know they are they are like totally peace loving. It's like you know he is a guy who's at war. You know he is a refugee and he wants to protect his family. But there's that little moment where he shoots the Cree guys, and just before it, he says to his wife, "Cover her eyes." And it's like you know he's trying to he's trying to protect slash hide his child from the fact that he is a soldier and has just chosen to kill two people in order to protect them. You know, um, mm. that's a, I thought that was a really nice little moment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I then kind of. I had this moment of uh, realisation as he got onto the ship. Oh, he's probably going to get killed off, isn't he? And then he got shot, and I was like, oh, there you go. And then he, then I was pleased that he did actually survive. It's your Michael <laughs> Douglas so, moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I just, yeah, I, I just, I, th- I, th- I think at every step of the way, he was just, every point that he's on screen, he's just really enjoyable, just in a very a very comfortable and easy way. Whether he's playing the, here's the straight-up baddie, Here's the here's Nick Fury's boss who's secretly a scroll, uh, and then yeah, you know here's actually this kind of bit of moral conflict with a bit of humour thrown in. Uh, every every all those turns that are chucked at him, he just he just completely bats them away. And um, you know, I, I, I've kind of I feel slightly bad saying you know <laughs> given the the importance of this as the the female led film and and for what it does with you know how good Brie Larson is and for what it does with with kind of Annette Benning as that character and and everything to say that a bloke was probably my favorite thing in it is is kind of annoying but it's classic um, Seb is what it is <laughs> yeah i'm just a <laughs> massive misogynist um so but yeah i just just really really liked him really want to see more of him as as that character as well um, you know, uh, hopefully the the Disney Fox deal 
will mean we'll get a bit of Fantastic Four scroll uh, action down the line. I'm sure it will. <laughs> it will be. Um, it, admittedly, it will be hard to use the scrolls as the villains now. <laughs> well, yeah, and that, and you know, as I say, that's that's why, and I think that's why that worked so well. Is if you were gonna. Because it, it, the, the fun thing about the Kree and the Scrolls is that they're both, they're kind of both the baddies in their way. Um, you know, they've got this kind of long running war, but it's not like the Kree are the goodies and the Skrull are the baddies. Yeah, However, any time the Skrull particularly interact with Earth and humanity, they are categorically the baddies. They're always the baddies. Like with the exception of Skrull John Lennon from, from Wisdom <laughs> and, and MI13. <laughs> Uh, you know they they are full on the baddies. So of all the kind of you know generally in Marvel, alien race does not necessarily mean they're all baddies. Like the scrolls are one of the only ones for whom it holds true. So it really does work as a twist for them to be the you know the imperiled refugees in this situation because you're you know if you're versed in the history, it blindsides you completely. I like what it uh, what it potentially sets up in the MCU as well for this for this film to be set twenty five years ago in the past. You've got you've got the kind of the reverse of the Hydra people in Winter Soldier. Mm. So in Winter Soldier, you could kind of bring back these characters before and go, oh hey, they were Hydra the whole time. So you've got Gary Shanley and you've got Agent Sitwell in particular. They're the they're the mm. two that really work, I think. Um, and I would, I, you know, I, I think it'll be really fun to, probably not with any major characters, but with maybe some minor characters for someone to turn back up and, like, I don't know, you find out, you know, yeah, you find out that one of the S.H.I.E.L.D. team has been a scroll for the uh, best Are you saying, years. Joe, and this could be a controversial statement, that you want the MCU to do Secret Invasion? I don't... I don't know what That's happens. That's a dangerous path. It's just not very good. <laughs> I mean, the premise of Secret Invasion is loads of Marvel characters, including some heroes, have been scrolls for years. Um, and it's just not very good. It's just not not that good a crossover. To be fair, like the, the, con- the concept is good. Great. It's just the, the concept is good. Just the execution was was yeah, it just wasn't great. And that's the that's the storyline that result that basically uh, the Avengers didn't win. Norman Osborn was was responsible for the win, and that's what leads to him taking control of Shield and the the Dark Age stuff for a while. Uh, now, I, I, I'm basically what I would love to do is just find out after the fact that like I mean. Darcy had been a scroll this whole time. You, you leave her alone. <laughs> no, it would make sense. She's a bit weird. <laughs> but also, James, then then there would be two Darcys. Would there though? No, no, I don't. I guess she. They have to be taking their luck from somewhere. As long as they didn't kill the original. <laughs> it'd be it'd be a way to bring her back. They could also make Jane Foster a scroll, and then it would be a way to send her away forever. <laughs> I think yeah, that, that, that's yeah, I think she's already there to, to be fair, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm doing a full twist now that like there is so much Jane Foster negativity that I'm like guys she wasn't that bad yeah just wait until you go back and rewatch either of the two films I did I have done a lot of times she's that doesn't sound uh, like something the, you'd do the MCU <laughs> did her wrong far far worse than she did the MCU wrong as far as I'm concerned I think they're anyway, both as bad as we each don't other. need to be talking <laughs> We don't need to be talking about that right now. Um, I, so I think the thing, Seb, to go back to Talos, um, for me, that scene in the middle where Talos shows up in the house is is the flip point where I think that I... That I think the movie really takes flight after that. Mm. Be- 
you get in quick succession, you get that like, oh, things aren't quite what they had seemed, which is what the film had been playing at, playing with the whole time, but not in the way you're expecting. So you get that nice little twist, but you still don't know whether to trust him or not. I think the actual the actual scene itself is one of those really lovely moments where like you kind of remember that you're watching some comic book nonsense where you've got you've got Fury and uh, Maria um, Maria Rambeau and um, Carol and Talos all in this hallway, and it's like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is this is weird. This is, this is silly, but it's fun. And because Ben Mendelsohn's crushing it in that scene, you then go straight from that to the flashback where the whole past is kind of laid out for you and you go, all right, okay, we know what's going on now. The film the film is happy to embrace that we know what's going on and we can kind of play everything straight from here on in. There doesn't need to be any more dancing around what's real and what's not real, what happened and what didn't happen. And the film can just from that point on go, yeah, we've got the rest of the story to tell. And I think it does it pretty, pretty effectively from there. And then, and that's the point at which Carol can actually grow. Cause as much as I like the character all the way, all the way through the film, she kind of has to remain fairly static from a growth perspective, up until that point, up until she learns what her past is. Yeah, because yeah, you, yeah, you, you, she you can't move her on until you filled in <laughs> who she was first. Yeah, yeah, I did. And so I think I think that's you know that's the version of Carol I like more. That's the version of Talos I like more. Um, and it's frankly it's the version of the film I like more, where the film is just going. Yeah, okay, we're not trying to obfuscate anymore. Here is here is a straightforward story that we can tell from here until the end. And I, I, do you know what? I think that's another reason that it can't really play with the thematic stuff that much throughout the middle of the film because it kind of all has to be this mystery that's not that big of a mystery. <laughs> Sorry, James, I think you were... I know, I was I was going to say, as as a sort of representation of when Carol starts kind of coming into her own i really like the scene where she's choosing her uniform colors because like that's the point where she's sort of throwing off the the sort of cree ideas and being like no actually i'm going to be my own person and i'm going to take inspiration from my own past hmm. um a little bit cheesy though no, right? cool just cool <laughs> it's a bit, I, I didn't it's mind a bit it cheesy. because they were making a really big deal out of her choosing the design that that our buddy did so uh, again, I'm like, you know, yeah, I, I enjoyed that because it but was. I kind of wanted her to stay in the neon colours. <laughs> yeah, that awesome. was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, uh, I mean, that's a Funko Pop waiting to happen, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I thought there were a couple of the moments where, a couple of moments where the film was a little bit, a little bit too Wolverine finding his jacket for me. No. <laughs> like, we had to, not, not that bad, obviously. But like I thought that there was there was a lot of that going on with it. I thought the colours scene took a little bit too long and was a little bit cheesy. I thought the pe- the setting up of the pager. I was like, I don't need you to spend this long <laughs> establishing the pager. Yeah, <laughs> it's I get I get it. It's the nineties. You're gonna Chekhov's give her a pager. pager. Yeah, did not need Chekhov's pager, and I thought that. It's cute, but I thought the call sign Avenger was a 
was a little bit like oh uh, i like i liked that a lot because i liked it, it a lot as well because there is no good reason to have ever chosen the name avengers for the team that the avengers are it's like that's the first time that there's actually been a good reason given even if it's a tenuous reason you know it, it, you you can't take the word avenger and have it apply with its actual meaning to what they are there for they should be the defenders <laughs> or something like but that. But that's just something that. Well, it's, that's see, that's something I don't. But care I no, about I, ju- I just like the fact yes, that he's gone. Yes, oh, I've seen in- that name and I quite like it. And there's no other. You know, that's that works for me. It's an it's an in-universe explanation for how Fury came up with the name. But I was satisfied with Tony Stark saying, you know, if we can't protect the the Earth, we're damn well going to avenge it. That I don't. That's fine. That's that's why they're the Avengers. Yes, Nick Fury had already come up with the name, but I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> but that's what I mean by a bit like Wolverine found his jacket. Yes, Wolverine had his jacket, but I don't need to see where he got it from. It's co- his jacket's cool. That's enough for me. You're just sad that Captain America is no a... longer the first Avenger. Uh, was was he always the first Avenger everywhere, or just in the UK? No, no, it was a worldwide one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because it the, the alternative thing was it only in Iran or something? It was called the first Avenger. I think yes, I think some some territories they dropped Captain America, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. and but just no, called it for, the first, first Avenger. Avenger is part of the title in in the US and everywhere. Yeah, but but for reasons of. Um, in 2010 and in the build-up to that, understandably, America was thinking, oh, maybe we're not that popular everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've come out of eight years of George W. Bush, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and now and now we're, we're engaging in drone warfare. Maybe uh, America's <laughs> not the thing we should be selling to the rest of the world. Captain, the first Avenger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought a, a, a few of those bits were a, a little bit cute, but I mean, it sounds like they work for most people, so who cares? <laughs> um, is there anything else in the film you guys wanted to talk about? I quite like the score. I actually liked the score when it was being a bit more mysterious. It reminded me of Wally. Pinar <laughs> Toprak did the, uh, did the score. Um, we haven't, uh, really talked about, uh, Maria at all um so (laughs) that that might be because i keep forgetting she's in the movie (laughs) i i thought that of the i think of the performances in the movie the one that falls flat for me in terms of anyone that has a decent size role anyway is lashana lynch but i don't think that is her fault i just think it's a it's a criminally underwritten character i was going to say because i don't really think they care about enough, maria enough to latch onto with their relationship and it's weird that it actually it gives you more to latch onto with her relationship with monica um, I mean, despite the fact well, that, I think you know, that's it. I think that's very intentional. Yeah, I think you can tell why that is because Monica Rambeau is going to be back in the next movie, right? Well, yeah, but the whole, but you know, the whole point is that like Maria is her best friend, and and you know, closer than that, if you if you want to buy into what what some people on the internet have have run with. Um, but yeah, it's sort of you know, I I, I, I enjoyed the it. the Auntie Carol relationship. Um, that that worked <laughs> quite nicely. I'm very pro. Though, I'm very pro Carol. um i feel like i feel like an 11 year old kind of wouldn't wouldn't really kind of know or remember as much about someone who they'd last seen when they were five but you know 
quibble really. Um, but yeah, you just there's there's just not a lot. There's just nothing there with with the Maria relationship. You, you can see that it's meant to be there. Um, and I wonder if it's something that was maybe like a, a casualty of cuts or something. Maybe there was I more think in the it, script. I, uh, honestly, I think it's a casualty of her being called Maria rather than Monica. <laughs> because the the big the big moments are like, oh, Auntie Carol's back. That's mm. Monica. And then at the end and picking the costume, that's the kind of the big sign off on Earth moment. It, yeah, I, I, I don't think the movie cares that much about Maria. I think she is a plot function of Carol had to have a friend back on Earth mm. because she doesn't, there's not yeah. for all of that, oh, there was a life before, you go mm, what's the, I mean, there was there well, was Marvel yeah. who wasn't around for very long and then, so her life has to have been the Air Force Yeah, because, we, well, I, I think, and I think that's I think it's very intentional for her to not have heavy ties to Earth. Yeah, because, because she, she leaves be immediately. go back off into space Yeah, Because where's a family and where, yeah, where's, a, where's anyone else, basically? Yeah. I mean, the impression is family are basically entirely estranged uh, if not, yeah. you know Dead. Well, we get we we get we get the the poor relationship with the father. That's mm. there, isn't it? Oh, and hey, actually, and while you know, while we're on kind of flashbacks to her life, the um the standing up montage. You know, I mean, I know we'd kind of seen it a bit in the trailer. It's um, great, but that's uh, that's again, that's that's like the stuff with with Yon Rog and the stuff at the end. That's this film doing something that you know we we've kind of not seen before i mean we there's always an element of it with with spider-man although it was kind of more in in spider-verse than than in homecoming but you know the 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 get up thing but i think i think what this did was you know this isn't just something that she has to deal with when she's a superhero and she's in a fight it's like Mm. this is something that she's had to deal with as a girl and as a woman her entire life and that's you know yeah it was just and i think I think that's what I was trying to get at as well with her with her being kind of a consistent character throughout mm. that and and being a believable superhero no matter the context in the movie you get that the heroism is there and that the powers enabled that. Yeah, I I kind of saw some complaints actually that were people saying like oh I I didn't like how sort of cleanly heroic she was for the whole time like you know there were no character flaws and nothing to latch onto in that respect and it's like if you go back and watch captain america Mm. exactly the same thing like there's no no point where you're looking at steve rogers going like oh he's a bit too nice isn't he yeah, you you don't want every character to be like that, but it's nice to have some who are. And bearing in mind that up to this point, um, you know, the 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 most major, well, kind of both the major actually female superhero characters. Uh, well, I say both. Well, there's Wasp as well, isn't there? But you know, right. <laughs> Black, the first two, Black Widow and Scarlet Witch, are both characters who don't have that. You know, they they mm-hmm. have that ambiguity. They have those pasts. They they have that. I mean, I think with Black Widow, we're we're pretty confident now. But they have that thing hanging over of them, uh, over them of could they, you know, go the other way. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely good to have a character like Carol who yeah who is as I say it's it's the Chris Evans effect yeah um, I, I yeah. do sort of think well, anyone anyone thinking like oh Captain Marvel's a bit too nice isn't she probably needs to check their sexism because I think that's where it comes from in this instance and I I 
I think that whilst she is a straightforward, good heroic character, um, she does she does have that you know there where she has been fighting kind of on the wrong side of a war. Um, but yes, she was tricked, but it's not like she just has this straightforward thing. And there is co- and there is conflict there because of that. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just that the movie positions her as someone who is an inherently good hero to begin with. Um, I still think, and I, and I and I think Marvel have been canny in the way that they've done this. They they're some sometimes a little bit more obvious than others. They are clearly setting up their replacement Avengers for the next phase. Um, and she's and the new I, cap. Well, no. So I, so my, so th- this is where the debate is. I think we can all agree Doctor Strange is the new Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that Black Panther is the new Cap. Yep, and, and yeah. that Carol, and that Carol's the new Thor. Yeah, yeah. but Fair. it's but and and more because yes, Thor and Cap, uh, Thor and Black Panther are both regal. But actually, I think that. The way they're setting up Captain Marvel, her kind of her sense of humor and power set is a lot more in line with the the more recent version of Thor that we've got. Whereas Black Panther is this kind of stoic, thoughtful hero who is who is kind of just driven by a more. Do you know what that like? Because the Cap Bucky relationship is kind was kind of similar to the uh, Black Panther Killmonger of like. Black Panther is like you know like ah, but it 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 doesn't matter because this is right and this is wrong. This is just this is the way that I see things. I get I get that you've got an argument to make, but you're still wrong. <laughs> um, and I I feel like that's the way that Cap views the world in those kind of black and white terms as well. And so yeah, I I think that they're setting up Captain Marvel more as the the Thor of this side of things and i imagine most of her adventures will be space set after this um yeah and and this did remind me a little bit of the first thor movie as well it's better but it did remind me of it um yeah so i guess i guess we now we just need to figure out who the new hulk is of course they'll never be able to replace hawkeye um <laughs> yeah because he's not going to appear again james I mean, there is a Black Widow Stop. prequel movie, so... Stop trying to hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I want to talk quickly, actually, about the control chip thing she had embedded in her. Because I think of everything in this film, that was probably the most undercooked aspect. It's a weird sequence with the supreme intelligence. Yeah. Um... Because like, you know immediately, as soon as they show it, you're like, well, that's coming out at some point soon. But yeah. also, it, it doesn't really work as a metaphor. Like, it, it's not... Is there another movie where we were talking about, like, a control chip? Yeah, well, I'm trying to think what it was. <laughs> I'm sure we had the same debate about another movie. <sighs> it was... I can't even remember what film it was, but it was something where the control chip seemed like a really kind of... Didn't Scott fit, Pilgrim didn't fit the metaphor. It was Scott Pilgrim, yeah. Is when um I wasn't on that podcast. No, it's Spider Man Two. No, no, no. 
actually spider-man 2 with dr i think Rock. the spider-man 2 one does it slightly better it's the the one i was thinking of is the chip and ramona at the end of scott pilgrim because it absolutely doesn't do its metaphor justice like the the game is all like oh it's cheat codes cheat codes like you know extra lives or whatever and then suddenly it's like oh yeah and she's got a circuit in her brain that stops her stops her like moving on or whatever and it's it just doesn't work and that's exactly the same thing here it's just like you could have had those moments without a control chip it feels like they put one in so that there was a kind of visual uh signifier of her moving on from the the metaphorical control she'd been under yeah and 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 being able to have that extra sequence with annette benning at the end yeah which is which is weird as well that they actually they go to the efforts of showing a record player inside there <laughs> so that they can get away with playing Nirvana. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very odd moment. Oh, and you just have reminded me of the most upsetting moment of the film, uh, which I've not seen anyone talking about. But man, when they destroy that pinball machine and that kid has been working oh, on no, high score for so school. long, yeah. and no one and like it's it's thrown away like it's nothing and i'm like no you you can't introduce me to the concept of this high score (laughs) and then just destroy the thing i mean i I don't think i was more upset by that than when vision was destroyed in infinity war (laughs) (laughs) okay anything else guys or should we uh should we go post credits uh i think it's post credits time okay uh let's go to the to the well, let's start with the stronger one. So, Goose is coughing up this <laughs> Infinity Stone. <laughs> that was one of those scenes, right, where as soon as you knew that the film had ended with the Tesseract inside Goose, yeah, you just knew that was coming. <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, they could have extended that credit scene out for as long as possible. And it would only have got more timing. funny. It's so gross because anyone who has ever owned a cat and has watched them cough up a hairball knows that it is one of the most grotesque <laughs> things to watch. <laughs> and I love that they were doing it and that they stuck with it for that long and the payoff was just what you expected it to be. <laughs> I thought it was lovely. <laughs> uh, let's uh, c- can we can we track the history of the Tesseract, right? <laughs> yes. So the Tesseract is the Space Stone. Yep. So the Tesseract was... It, so it first shows up on Earth, and it's it's that's the one... It's protected by David Bradley. Yeah. yeah. In the, like... in the like It's got the Asgardian tree in front of it. Yeah, it's been, of hidden, it's been hidden on Earth, presumably by the Asgardians. Uh, by Odin. Yes. By Odin, yeah. yeah. Then the Nazis get it. Yep. Yeah. They create loads of weaponry with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But then it burns through Red Skull's ship and drops into the ocean. Yeah. Where it's retrieved by Dominic Cooper. Yeah. Howard Stark. By yeah. Howard Stark. So Shield. Shield have got it. What yeah. While it's in Shield's possession, presumably at Project Pegasus. Yeah. yeah. Um Marvel comes into contact with it and figures out that it can be used for a space drive, which she thinks can is the thing that could potentially end the Kree Skrull War because it can take the Skrulls far enough away to safety. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then she puts it Marv- on her ship 
in a she, lunchbox. She hides it in her yeah in her in her Happy Days lunchbox out in space, uh, on like a space station. Instead, uh, why why has Henry Winkler not been in an MCU film yet? Can somebody make that happen? There's got to be something he can do. <laughs> well, the Russos should do it, given the um, given the Arrested Development ties. Yeah, exactly. He could he could play that same character he could, as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that well, I, he would be a good scroll, um, and and yeah, so so that the tesseract is then swallowed by the flurkin, it comes back down to earth, mm-hmm. and then is in Nick Fury's possession again. He leaves it at uh, Pegasus. Then the events of the Avengers happen, and it opens up the portal into space. Yeah, he doesn't leave it at Thought- Pegasus. It, it's back with S.H.I.E.L.D. proper, because Pegasus is essentially... Because he's not directly involved with Pegasus, so he gets it back, and it's in but S.H.I.E.L.D.'s takes it- possession then. Yes, but S.H.I.E.L.D. take it to Pegasus because that's where they... That's where it is at the start of the event. No, that's right. Yeah, but, you, but I'm saying after. After Goose yeah. has coughed it back up, Fury's got it at S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and then, end of Avengers... It gets taken back up to Asgard. It gets locked in the Asgardian vault. Yeah. At the end of Thor Ragnarok, Loki steals it. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then Loki gives it to Thanos. Loki gives it, it to Thanos. Yeah. Who smashes it open, and there he's got a stone. Yeah. That Tesseract has done some work, hasn't it? I can't wait to find out who built like the the different shapes for the Infinity Stones, like. Yeah, that's like that. That's the one thing now that we don't know about the tesseract is when did it become the tesseract? Yeah, because at some why. point someone took the stone and put it inside the cube. Yeah, and that was pre Asgardians. Yeah, and likewise, that's happened to the mind gem. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. It happened to the uh, time stone. Someone put it in the yeah. eye of Agamotto. So a a, a jeweler did it. I'm not. The cosmic I'm not jeweler buying it. did it. <laughs> I think <laughs> it was probably the Eternals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that will be the entirety of that movie, just watching how they hid, them, <laughs> hid the Infinity Stones inside gems so that they were both Infinity Gems and Infinity Stones. Is there... I get so mixed up with the various stones. Is there a stone that Thanos has... By the start of Infinity War, that we've never, that we hadn't seen anywhere else, or that hasn't been anywhere else before. That we don't no, the only, no, the only one that we hadn't seen before was the Soul Stone. And which one was the? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, and that was with, yeah, which, that was with which he gets go. during the film, yeah, and the, and he starts the movie with the Power Stone, which he had presumably ravaged the. Oh, he got that was that was the all yeah, wasn't he it? got that yeah. one off screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. slash. It's gonna be, it's gonna be the, sad when we uh, sad when we don't get to uh, to to see the Infinity Stones anymore. Well, who knows what they'll put in its place? I mean, the Chaos Emerald. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would watch that in a shot. <laughs> Give me some knuckles in the MCU. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm looking forward to the Ultimate Nullifier. I'm looking forward to the Phoenix Force. <laughs> like, there's a lot of have you seen a lot the, of stuff they could use. Have you seen that? Um, Kevin Feige has started referring to Phase One to Three as the Infinity Saga. <laughs> nice. So get ready to see that plastered over box sets in in years to come. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you know what I was just thinking? I could really see like um, 
a phase four Nova movie where like the opening scene is watching the Nova Corps get absolutely ravaged. That, that is 100% happening. Like the, the origin of Nova is definitely going to be Thanos comes to Xandar, kills all the other Nova Corps, and there's just this one guy left and he's got the or, the world mind. Or kid, or kid if they do the the more recent Nova. Yeah, I probably, well, it depends where they make him an Earthling, I guess. But Young Avengers. Yeah, there's going to be one helmet that has all of the all of the Nova Corps in, and it's going to go to that one Earth kid. One hundred percent, that is happening. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the other post credit sequence, uh, which we can use as a segue. Uh, uh, I'm going to read from Wikipedia in a mid credit scene set in the present day. The pager which Fury activated prior to his disintegration is being monitored by Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, Bruce Banner, and James Rhodes. Um, where Carol Danvers appears and d- demands to know Fury's whereabouts. Um, did you guys expect her to show up in that? Can I tell you what I didn't expect, and that is War Machine to show up. I was so happy to see War Machine, as I always am. <laughs> I mean, they've got to they've got to show up the ones that are left, James. War Machine rocks. <laughs> your you, your odds are better. Yes, he does. Rox. We well, say um, that, but there's no rocket. Um... <laughs> so yeah, that that CG that is. I, I was surprised so. at, at how much we got there. Um, and do we think do we think that's a scene or is that separate? I think like that are we going to get? It has, that to, be, it has to be a scene. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. You can't. Yeah, you can't not show Carol Danvers. Yeah. You can't not show the unless you get a slight, like, That's the big payoff. Or if you get a slightly different reshot version. Uh, but yeah, so that is, so I guess, I, and as well, I think that's probably, it's probably a smart call so that you, you, the, cause there's going to be a lot of conversation leading up to that. It means that you can show Carol Danvers in the end game trailer and it, it, you know, it takes away, it, I, I think in a way that like, you know, I think Kevin Feige regrets having end game as a secret because, you invite the fans to have a lot of conversation for not much payoff and i think when the when the question which a lot of people are asking is like well well where's carol danvers been for 25 years how like how can she just show up again and like in in the present day if the movie's set in the 90s and how hasn't she aged and i think the i think the movie here is basically just saying it it doesn't it doesn't matter it, it, you don't need to care carol's carol's showing back up because the page beeped don't worry about where she's been for now. Don't worry about what she's been doing. Don't worry about why she hasn't aged. Uh, she's powered by an infinity stone. That's probably enough. Time dilation. She's just been flying really fast. Or really slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that answers the question. And it lets us see Carol Danvers in the Avengers Endgame trailer, which we haven't talked about yet, you guys. Let's talk about it. It's good. Five stars. It's all right. <laughs> I, I I love the like flashback thing with the with the highlight. Yes, colors. that's so nicely the done. Shinder's list colors. Yeah. There was a still I, don't get I, it. Me and James had this conversation last time. I if you're gonna do that and you're gonna just show the red, there needs to be some symbolism behind. There is that symbolism. Than, red red warning. Not. Blood bad. Yeah. That's the symbolism. What, we've already had the bad. <laughs> it's a portent of dire times. 
Uh, I, Have you ever had I a dream, Joe? Are you always like, I yeah, think it's what was the meaning of, of <laughs> I think it's important of self-seriousness. <laughs> like, this is, this is, and, you know, if there's one time to do it, it is now, fair enough. But the, the first, like, minute of this trailer was just Marvel going... <sighs> Check us out. They have yeah, earned it. I think they're entitled they to do that. They have definitely yeah. earned it. Yeah, no. <clears throat> but also, but also, like, like, and guys, this is pretty important right here. <laughs> it's a superhero movie. Um, I will. Can I just? I, there was something that I don't know if 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 you guys have seen this or or if many other people have seen this. Um, but one of the clips that they used was a with in its original context was a nod to something that I'd never seen. It was James who who linked me to this, which was an Instagram post by Drew Pierce talking about it. Mm. Um and it's the 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 bit with Pepper kissing Tony's helmet when she thinks God you can't say that now it sound right. The bit with Pepper kissing the part of the Iron Man suit that goes over Tony Stark's head. Iron Man's faceplate. Uh, Yes, uh, when she thinks he's dead, um, was a direct reference to Ayrton Senna's sister doing the same at his funeral. Um, and yeah, I just oh, thought wow. that was a really nice <laughs> nod that Iron Man 3 did that we'd never caught at the time, but that Drew Pierce pointed out. And he was very pleased that it had made it into this trailer because he said it was a it was a script moment as well. It wasn't a, you know added during shooting moment. Um, yeah. So that was just a nice little little touch i thought as as a as a fan of senna and of that senna movie particularly then uh yeah well so i mean it, let, let's go through the trailer i think it's i think it's pretty effective in doing a for your core avengers team a basically look how far they've come so you get the yeah. moment with tony in the desert and you cut to the spaceship there's no new footage on the spaceship from what i could tell that all seemed like stuff we'd seen in the previous trailer we then get Cap, uh, I mean, uh, one of my favourite shots in Captain America, where he steps up to that that board where you, you see your face. Yeah, and the he's so low it, down. It, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, what a minute. It's a shame that they uh, took the colour away for this trailer. It doesn't work quite as well, but... Uh, <laughs> fine uh, <laughs> and uh and then we get a bit of on earth stuff we get hawkeye training a young archer so i i did where have we settled on this that's not Catherine langford but it's probably kate bishop or this movie's version of kate bishop who might be his daughter i mean it is clearly his daughter yeah i um, think who is going to have been snapped away judging by the fact that it comes as Cap is talking about what what they've lost or whoever's talking about what they've lost, and then you cut to a dishevelled, angry Hawkeye in the present day. So, yeah. Oh, guys, I love Hawkeye. I don't care that I'm the only one. You don't are care the only that one. I'm the only one. Like, I, you just are. Do you know what? I think I think it was re-watching... Uh, well, I mean... Uh, I, I loved him the first time I saw this, but I think rewatching Age of Ultron during the marathon last year, getting a newfound appreciation for that movie. I, I still think it's, you know, it's nowhere near the level of the first Avengers, but I think some of the stuff that that movie's tackling. And when you buy into that movie on a more positive level than people tend to, I can also buy into that that is the movie where finally, like, they gave Hawkeye something to do. Um,. The MCU's done Jeremy Renner wrong, and I'm hoping that Clint gets a big part to play in this movie. Um, anyway, so we then get the cat bit, uh, carrying Peggy's coffin, and then some voiceover, you guys. From the Peggy. Is, is, 
I'm going to be so upset <laughs> if we're sat here a month from today and Captain America is not safely back in 1945. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it, it for any, anything that could possibly destroy me emotionally, it's an ending where the, those two characters aren't together. I think because... it's possible that Peggy and Captain America will be like slow dancing inside the Soul Stone forever or something. Ah. Hmm. Oh. Something like that. I love it. <laughs> that would be a good way to send off Chris Evans. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's the that's the cap stuff that we see. Uh, we we flash back to um, blonde eyebrowed Thor, <laughs> <laughs> blonde blonde eyebrowed and bearded Thor uh, until cutting to his more recent cooler self. Um, no Hulk because. <laughs> Let's. Uh, it'd be difficult to go. Look how far this character has come. He's literally a different actor now. <laughs> I think they should have put a bit of Ed Norton in there. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the MCU has any any desire to ever remind you about um, about Ed Norton. Um, and then yeah, and then so we and then from that point on, we we kind of we cut back to the the present, and there's. Ant-Man seeing all the missing posters, obviously, after turning back up from the Quantum Realm, however he gets out of there. Um, Cap at the... It looks like he's at... uh, Looks like he's at a support group. I think that was in the previous trailer as well. Maybe taking over from Falcon's old... Or, or, you know, very leftovers he probably... You know, some shit has gone down. Here's where we are now. Um... And there's some actiony bits. There's War Machine carrying Rocket. Yeah. Shames <laughs> into it. I mean that that's. I mean that's that's basically. I look at that and I'm like, oh, James is carrying Seb in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Hawkeye's got a new haircut, and I mean, I'm into it. Uh, <laughs> that's become a meme. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of footage. And then we cut to them all in those white suits, which I think our assumption for a long time has been those are quantum realm suits. Yeah. They are, they are, it, so they're in the Avengers facility. Um, Nebula's there. Tony's there. Hawkeye is there. Your kind of core cast of characters are all there. Is Rocket there? Rocket's there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 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 Ant Man, of course. So you you kind of got your whole team there, which kind of seems to like tears up for like right. Okay, so uh, presumably the movie that the trailer hasn't shown as much up to that point, and and neither had the previous trailer. This is all first act stuff. But you know, in a three hour movie, which we are now anticipating this to be, that could be an hour in. Yeah, I mean, before there's they, clearly a before they go back in there's time. There's clearly a big missing chunk of that movie where, like, Tony has to get back from space somehow. Well, it feels like that's Tony a has long, to get back from space. A long bit of stuff. That's so Tony has to get back from space. Hawkeye has to get back from being Ronin and get a new haircut. Uh, Ant Man has to get out of the quantum realm, um, and. Captain Marvel has to disappear somewhere. And and then not to read too much into this because, you know, I I think back to um Thor with the eye patch and how 
it's very easy to obscure obscure some stuff in a movie by simply you know like just not not being quite upfront about the timelines but black widow hair watch right so she's completely blonde at the start of this trailer when she i and i think when she finds hawkeye slash ronin she's completely blonde at that point and then there are scenes with her where her hair has kind of grown out half red, half blonde. And then when you get to when they're actually in the quantum realm suit, she's back to full redhead again. So it's foreseeable that, you know, like the first act of this movie could be hopping across like, you know, could could be making like three, six, 12 month time jumps. Yeah, I mean... I think we're going to see a lot, or, of, a lot of time covered in that first, first half of the film, certainly. Or potentially, is this is this another thing that we that we could not have even taken even taken into consideration before? That the time jumps are happening multiple times. That they are like hopping back in time, doing a mission and coming back almost, and that time is passing in between. Yeah, it's possible. Who knows? Who can say? Who can say anything about this film? Mm. Did you see that there was a rumoured runtime going round? Yes, that was saying three hours, two yep. minutes. Is if the... that is the case, I'm fully ready for it. I'm going to have my Avengers branded catheter in. I'll watch the whole thing. <laughs> well, there's been there's been rumours uh, for quite a while that this was a long movie. Um, and to, to the point that there was... <laughs> Do you remember that news story a couple of months ago that they might be considering an intermission? Yeah, <laughs> which which is wonderful, but I, yeah, I probably probably don't. They're do gonna that. have the pian- uh, the just... score played live on a piano as well. Just do a just do a really dull five minutes in the middle where everyone can nip out for a <laughs> <laughs> Right here's here's my pitch: uh, real in depth Bucky flashback about an hour forty-five <laughs> in, <laughs> and just have Bucky kind of staring pensively out into the middle distance, maybe trapped within the Soul Stone. Um, <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember as well about uh, uh, in the build-up to Infinity War, where Sebastian Stan mentioned this day on set where he was filming with everyone, literally like everyone was there, and he dropped in Michelle Pfeiffer as a name, and it was like. Oh right, okay. So there's going to be one enormous scene where everyone is there. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether that is, you know, like wh- whether we, whether we do just see those other characters through time travel, or whether there is some kind of, you know, what if this movie is kind of set in two realities where a different half of them got snapped in each? Oh no, I think I think end, no, that's not happening. I think it? end of the movie, everyone comes back like the snap is undone, and we get a scene where basically every character you've ever seen sort of reappears. Yeah, probably in the same place. But... <laughs> oh, quickly, Mike has been asking for this. Do you want to play a quick game of who survived the snap, updated for Captain Marvel timeline? Uh, yes, but before we do that, let's just quickly mention that at the end of this trailer, Captain Marvel turns up. <laughs> Again, yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, uh, Captain uh, Black Widow has her full blonde hair there. So this is right at the start, probably presumably in the scene we saw in the, in the post credits. Yep. Um, but I, 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 it's just... Marvel are really good at these small little character moments where they just they they have an idea and go, 
oh, what if what if Thor summoned Mjolnir and just Captain Marvel didn't give a shit and it's right past her ear? It's lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a nice introduction and that kind of smirk that she gives him as well. It's like, all right, this is yeah, this is the same <laughs> character that we saw yep. two months She's ago. She's cool. They're That's both cool. gonna work. Okay, yeah, right. So, who survived the snap in Captain Marvel from Captain Marvel? Hit me, <laughs> Stanley. Um. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kevin Smith, the the writer of More Rats. <laughs> no. Jason Lee, the star of More Rats. No. Um, Goose. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Um, yeah. Maria and Monica Rambo. No, Maria died years ago. Monica, yes. Uh, Jude Law. Yes. Ronan. No, he's already dead. Good. Canonically already Good dead. Good point. Uh... But killed killed by an Infinity Stone, so maybe he's maybe he's inside Thanos's. Daughter, Easy to bring so. back. What about the other accusers? My favorite characters. All <laughs> um, scrolls, all of the scrolls. Um, all of the scrolls. Um, no, that is fifty. Yeah, fifty percent right? of the scrolls are gone. Yeah. Which fifty? Yeah. Um, Talos and his wife, but not his children. Okay. Wow, cold. <laughs> so cold <laughs> for an expectant father as well okay uh let's move on to our final section now which is the pitch uh it's the new and improved fast fire pitch um and this week uh i'm gonna start with james and um the pitch this week is pitch me a future movie featuring uh an established mcu character who has secretly been a scroll this whole time Ooh, okay. <laughs> You're not going to like my idea. Because my idea is Hawkeye turns out to be a Skrull and is replaced by the real Hawkeye, who is the cool Matt Fraction Hawkeye, not the boring, like, uh, Ma- Mark Miller Hawkeye. But Guy Pierce is already in the MCU. <sighs> I'm disappointed. I just want to see Hawkeye, not, not like... Daddy Hawkeye or whatever the hell he is. Oh, James. Right, okay. Seb, you've got an open goal. Uh, So my pitch is that immediately following the events of Agent Carter Season 2, Peggy Carter was replaced by a Skrull. So the Peggy Carter that that aged and 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 died like kind of not knowing steve rogers for most of her life was actually a scroll and the real peggy carter was kept in suspended animation and the real peggy carter uh, is awoken upon the discovery of the scroll in the present day and so we get new peggy carter stories in the present so day. hang on your pitch is that peggy carter was not involved in the formation of shield at all because that's too much for a woman to do is that what you're saying off the back of this movie? no because she was involved in the creation of shield during and just after the events of agent carter that's not what happened in Agent Carter. Well, it's building towards it. It's the SSR in Agent Carter. It's not until like, well after that. Yeah, but you're, you're erasing is... this very major plot point in the MCU, and I'm okay. ashamed of you. Immediately following the founding of Shield <laughs> by Peggy Carter and Howard Stark. <laughs> I don't know. No, listen, right, uh, James, you insulted me on a personal <laughs> level. Um, you also stood in the way of progress with a Kate Bishop Hawkeye. Um, <laughs> no, and, Kate Bishop Hawkeye uh, is in Seb... my movie. No, James, 
don't try and rewrite. I told you, it's a whole guy movie. Much the same way that in much the same way that Seb has tried to do. Um, I, Seb, I feel like you're t- you're taking away my perfect ending. I don't need modern day Peggy Carter. I, I, it's just a Peggy... way to get more Peggy Carter, Joe. Just, what, just more Peggy Carter, but Captain America's gone. Way. Why? Why do you want a sad ending no, to that I'm... love story? I'm sorry, I was. I, I no, was it's a happy ending because both. she gets to reunite with Steve. No, Rogers. Steve Rogers is about to die. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you both lose. I, I feel. I'll take it. And I, I feel I don't fine like about declaring format. it that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that is it for this week's podcast. Again. Uh, <laughs> if you're enjoying the show then please l- l- listen guys I know you had to wait a long time for this podcast but never say that we don't try our best for you because I've talked about Captain Marvel for conservatively five <laughs> hours now um, <laughs> uh, if you're enjoying the show then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM or your podcast app of choice you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe you can buy our t-shirts on our Redbubble store you can find more episodes of the podcast at cinematicuniverse.com you can get in touch via facebook on twitter at cine underscore verse or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com thanks for listening and we will actually see you next week goodbye goodbye Shazam! Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Shazam. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Most of us have clothes that we've loved for years, maybe even decades. But it's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. So before you update your closet this summer, take a look at American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for summers to come. American Giant is made in the USA. That ensures that they can deliver items of exceptional quality, but it also creates jobs across the country. You're not just buying clothes that last. You're helping create a lasting change in the communities where they're made and a connection to the seamsters, cutters, and factory workers who make them. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code LT23.